Welcome in to another episode of the Esports Network podcast, presented, of course, by Esports Network. Today, we are talking about the Overwatch League Finals. Season 2 of the OWL had plenty of ups and downs, but in the end, it was the San Francisco Shock defeating the Vancouver Titans 4-0 in Philadelphia's State Farm Arena. No, what is it? It's the... uh, Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo Arena. Thank you. That is my co-host, Terrell Skelly, an esports writer and an avid Overwatch League fan. He is going to be breaking down a lot of what actually happened in the match. I was at TwitchCon, so I wasn't able to watch it. Somewhat surprisingly, TwitchCon, despite spending 80 or 90 million to have the broadcast rights for all OWL matches at their premiere event, when many people wanted to watch the Overwatch League finals, they didn't really have a good setup to do so. So while I was there in San Diego, not easy to watch the OWL finals. And I know there were quite a few guests who were a little bit upset by that, considering it's one of the biggest esports events of the year. Twitch has a very insane partnership with them. And so it was weird that they didn't have a way to watch that while you're on the floor of TwitchCon. But that's what Terrell is for. So I wasn't able to watch it, but he was. 4-0, to zero, shock over the Titans. Terrell, how did it happen? Break it down for me. All right, first and foremost, I'm sorry that you missed it. It was a fun um, 95 minutes, maybe a little more. However, uh, it was a stop. It was like, it was, it was literally the 2007 Patriots, sadly. They just ran through everybody. Um, they did, however, struggle at the very beginning with Atlanta Rain to get knocked down in the loser's bracket. Uh, other than that, they went on an absolute vitriolic tear of everyone that got in their way. Um, 4-0'd everyone else, and then they got to the Titans, who everyone thought they would have been the strongest competition, and smoked them. Just made sure they knew who was going to take home the trophy, and they did it. Brought it home. Yeah, so for most of Season 2 of the OWL, it was the Titans and the Shock at the top of the tables. They made every single stage playoffs. Uh, The Titans won Stage 1, the Shock won Stage 2. Both those stages, they they faced off against each other in the finals. It was only Stage 3, actually, that another team, the New York Excelsior, were the top team in the regular season. It was actually the Shanghai Dragons of Season 1 Infamy, who were able to grab the stage three title. But over the entire year, it was really shock, Titans, shock, Titans, and the playoffs were no different. But at the very end, it became clear that the shock were cut above. Uh, The team is led by the league MVP, Sinatra. They also received Roll Star Awards for Super, Choi Hobin, and Moth. So four of the six players on the San Francisco shock ended up receiving awards which is pretty crazy impressive for one team to receive i believe that there was 12 total awards given out maybe 14 and the mm-hmm. shock received five of them if you count sinatra's mvp and his role star award so that's a pretty uh, impressive hardware and that was all before the match happened so everybody had considered Hey, the Shock have the best players, and then they just went out, performed zero letdown in the finals. Was it yeah, ever? Um, was it ever close, Terrell? Where was? Uh, was there ever like a, a game or a map where it looked like the Titans might might have some momentum back on their side? I, w- I would have said the second game, 
it looked like the Titans, they came steamrolling through. They uh, ran through the second game, like I said, really good. And then the shock is just like, okay, we're, we're done, you know. It, they were toying with their food, and they just literally eviscerated them. And if I remember correctly, they uh, did it in almost a record time, getting that um, map back. So everyone thought the shock was, like I told you before, the shock was going to be good. But I don't think they thought they were going to do this good and then take care of a team that dominant as well. So you've watched a lot of Overwatch League. What makes the Shock so good? What what separates them from everybody else? Um, Everyone thought at first they were going to actually take a dive due to the fact that they had to deal with the change of GOATs. So the GOATs was pretty much an all-defensive you know, meta, and people hated it because it was boring. And so... They, the Overwatch and Blizzard decided, hey, we're going to try and change it up with Rolock. So Rolock is 2-2-2. Two, two, two. So you have two supports, two damage, and two tanks. You're locked in, and they made it even more egregious. Like, if you wanted to switch roles, you actually had to switch chairs on stage. So, um, they thought the Shock were going to falter a little. And they did falter a little. They struggled a little bit at the very first game against Soul, who was a mediocre to poor team about average and then once they figured out what was going on they got those the goats going um sinatra can play dps like you said before he's the mvp this year he literally um did so well like when they switched them off to Zarya because of the goats and they forced them into a 2-2-2 he ended up bringing out doomfist who ended up being a a massively strong meta choice. So it helped him so much that he's Doomfist play, and he's also known for his choice of play, literally helped carry the team to victory. Uh, and the second map, I'm sorry, that we were talking about before was Eichenwald. So it was a hybrid map where you would assault the point and then you had to escort pretty much a battering ram. And they did good and so, yeah, Sinatra was just a beast. Like, it literally wrapped around him. Like you said, Super, Chobin, and Moth were all there as well. Chobin actually winning the playoff MVP for that stage. But Sinatra helped out so much. Like, I honestly believe he should have gotten it. Interesting. So, Sinatra is the league MVP, Chobin the playoff MVP. You think it's just team chemistry, uh, adaptability? I mean, the fact that they went from meta to meta, we've seen so many amazing esports teams over the years be just wrecked by a change in meta. It's it's really impressive when a team is at the top of their game during one meta, during the GOAT's defensive meta, and then they have to do role switch, they have to adapt to new characters, and they don't really lose a step. How do you, I as an esports player, as an esports fan, how is it, how do, how do you do that? How do you change your mind in a way that you're like, okay, this is how we had to win, and now we have to completely scrap that. We have to come up with a new strategy that and define an entirely new meta. I mean, I think it's just, it's cliche as it sounds, is you got to have almost a Michael Jordan-esque player that can, you know, adapt. And once one person can adapt, you can form the team around them. So, like, take example... Uh, basketball, when you have uh, Kevin Durant or LeBron James out there, if you adopt adapt the team 
to that main player, you could do good. Now, add in Super, and then Choyobin, and then, of course, Sinatra leading the front. You literally have a big three, so you can warp your team around those guys and have trust in them to uh, be able to change and help out the team. So, go ahead. That's really interesting because that's, you know, in the NBA, you can't win a championship without at least one star. And that's true in esports in a lot of ways. And that sort of the way a team is built out around one person who knows exactly where they need to be at all times. It's an interesting comparison to traditional sports where it is so difficult to win a team when you don't have the that one star to build around. So when you think of like the most dominant teams in sports and esports in sports you know you got jordan's bulls uh you have the warriors the heat from the early part of this decade in football you have the steelers in the 80s you have the patriots the last two year two decades unfortunately <sighs> where does this team rank in the most dominant esports teams you've ever seen you know in the past year we've seen a couple teams really shine astralis and csgo stands out as one team that's just been dominant league of legends in the various regional leagues g2 was great this year where do you think the shock ranks in terms of some of the most dominant teams you've ever seen compete in esports um for right now i think it's going to be up there but i want to see what happens more next season because in season one they did so bad they ended up ninth they ended up i think like eight or nine games under 500 so they were a mess and Sinatra was on that team as well but I don't think they flowed the you know the control and the dictation of the team through him but this year they figured out hey Sinatra's your best player warp everything through him so I still think it's kind of early to tell but um for Overwatch it's good because then you have a dominant team to look forward to every time either to root for as some people I know or root against as we all know. But it, I don't, so I don't want to put it with the Australians and stuff, though. Not yet. That's fair. Yeah, That's fair. You're right, because it needs... Dynasties aren't built in one year. No team became a dynasty for winning one championship. And so <clears throat> it is going to be really interesting. And we're going to talk at the end of this podcast, we're going to talk a lot about the next season of the Overwatch League, which is going to be one of the most important esports seasons for any game ever. Just due to the how the homestand weekend format is going to work. So we're going to end up on a little bit of, of that note. But I wanted to keep talking on about the actual grand finals. So last year, there were plenty of memes came out from the grand finals thanks to DJ Khaled's absolutely horrid performance that you know just didn't, didn't hit the right vibe. Nobody was into it. That was at the Barclays Center. How did the entertainment go? How was the broadcast experience for this OWL Finals compared to the year one? Did you see a noticeable improvement? Um, there was a noticeable improvement in production. Um, the fans were still the same. I think it's just like I always say it whenever I come on or just in general. It's my age showing. I don't like the kids always holding up their phones, trying to record, not really paying attention. But Zed did try his best. I guess he tried his best so much he's getting his own skin in Overwatch. So, uh, that's cool, I, don't I guess. How, I, I, yeah, like, I'm like, I don't know how that happened, but, uh, yeah, he's, he said he's going to get his own skin, and it's supposed to be a Widowmaker skin. So, that's a thing. But 
the the show itself was good. Like I watched some of the show, and um, it was good. It was more up, and it seemed like he had more energy than GDA Khaled did. Like honestly, Khaled looked like he was just there for a paycheck. Uh, while Zed actually tried to get into the crowd, get the fans going and stuff. So. Yeah, but it's just not. So even it was better, but you still just don't think it was necessary. I mean, whatever check they have to give out to get those artists on that stage is probably not worth what they're bringing back, you know? No, I think they should just scrap the idea. Only one I could really see pulling it off is League or Dota. Um, Well, yeah, we could talk about, I mean, League of Legends absolutely nailed it last year with KDA. And they oh, created. Yeah. I mean, KDA, the song they created for League of Legends Worlds last year is the like 17th most viewed video on YouTube, with like 230 million views, or something absurd like that. And so that concert that they had was an absolutely phenomenal knock 'em down winner. And so if, but that's what it takes is they had to create an entirely new K-pop band. To do a song, a unique song around League of Legends. It wasn't just like, oh yeah, put DJ Khaled out there doing one of his songs. Or put Zed out there doing his song. Like, right, like one of the things I like what League of Legends does is, because Worlds came, as we're recording this, Worlds just started for League. Well, they come out with a song specifically for Worlds and it comes for like a YouTube video. So when it, so like they'll make a song like Rise made one a song called Rise with Glitch Mob and stuff like that. It went to a YouTube video, so it wasn't really live and stuff. They should have done something like that. I don't think having you know A list musicians, if you want to call some of them that, on stage opening up for it. I don't. I'm not a huge fan of it. They should probably go a little lower or something like have a vote, have a fan vote or something too. That'd be cool. I. Don't know if it really brings the... I think you're right. I think it's probably just a scrap. Like, do some other form of entertainment. A concert isn't always going to be what people want, you know? I don't know if the first Super Bowl had a halftime show. I feel like that was something they introduced later. Maybe down the road, you want to put that in. But for now, just focus on the game and that broadcast experience. That's going to be the most important thing. That's what all the fans are there for. So I don't know, maybe do some unique overwatch content. I really do think riot has it figured out is to do unique content, but still centered around the game because that's what everybody in that stadium is there for. Exactly. I agree to that totally because like you said, it definitely goes around um, the game. So when you have stuff like that, you can have like, hell, you can even hire an in-house team to make music for you. You know, there's always musicians out there that are sick of making commercial jingles. They're like, hey, you want to make real music for us? We'll pay you this amount of money. Focus it around our teams. Like, hell, I mean, even some of the teams have their own entrance music when they come out. Like, literally, like, WWF style. And it's great because it pumps up the crowd of the fans and the, the players are excited about it. And then you're like, all right, here's Zed. And everyone's like, who's Zed? Or why is he on stage? Yeah, that, that is super weird. I mean, they even have a character that is a DJ. Have like a Lucio DJ who skates around the stage and just plays different songs from different artists. I think that would be even a bigger hit than actually doing a whole concert with a celebrity musician. Just hire some local DJ. 
Have him wear a Lucio costume. <laughs> sort of slide around the stage and then just do some like do the downtime. Like that would be that would totally be a hit. I feel like. Oh my god! Just fake it like Millie Vanilli. Just have him up there just dancing <laughs> the music that from the Lucio and just like that's Lucio. Eh, no, I'm just doing my thing. But, it's Millie Vanilli, actually. <laughs> oh, oh my god! Please no. <laughs> That's such a dark time. You're too young for that, man. <laughs> I know my Milli Vanilli, sir. Uh, but I. But like you said, in hindsight, I think they should just up and scrap it. But if they, tr- I don't know. See, it's gonna bother me because I don't know what's gonna happen with next year. Because I'm kind of worried if they're gonna try it again. And the thing is with them is they're trying to be unique. Like they're trying, you know, with the homestand stuff like that. Make your shows unique as well. Yeah, that's I. That's definitely something that's going to come out in the homestand weekends. We're going to see a lot more unique aspects of Overwatch League competition. Mm-hmm. And let's 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 move over to that right now. So homestand weekends. Let's do. I'm going to do a quick rundown. I gotta imagine most people are familiar with this at this point. But you know, the Overwatch League came out, and their whole goal was to move to home cities. They attached for they were the first esports league to attach city names to all the different teams in the league, and the eventual end game was always to move these teams into their home stadiums in the same way the traditional sports operates. You know, people come in for one game, they compete. Mm-hmm. Well, for the first two years of the OWL, that didn't happen. They all competed in Los Angeles. That's just... Teams were based around the world, but everybody lived in Los Angeles, and they didn't really have that much of a tie to their actual location except in branding and some promotions they do but all teams lived in los angeles so now next year their transitionary period they're moving to homestand weekends and these are when the entire league or sorry half the league is going to go to one location and half the league is going to go to another location so that's 10 teams each going and so you know 10 teams are going to be in new york and 10 teams are going to be in shanghai and then 10 teams will fly to london and 10 teams will play in san francisco where is the overwatch community at on homestand weekends just based on your conversation with other people who are really deep in the scene where what are people's thoughts towards homestand weekends are they excited are they nervous cautiously optimistic Uh, break it down for me I think, um, so I talked to a couple of people, a couple of people from the game house, and a couple of people from our own site, and they're questionably cautious, like you said. I figure it this way. Um, it depends on the price. It depends on how tired the player is. And like you said, travel, even though you're going to have, you know, 10-10, it's still going to be a lot on the players. Like, a lot, a lot. And yeah, for, for younger, go ahead. For travel purposes and like in terms of jet lag, that's not going to be any different on the players. The players are all going to have to move from one city to another city each week. In fact, they won't really have a home base. So it'll be even a little bit harder. It won't be like, oh, we're going out to here and then, but we play our next three weeks at home. It'll be, we're in New York, we're in Atlanta, we're in Chicago, or does Chicago have a team? Chicago doesn't have a team. Not yet. They should. They should. Ahead, they sorry. will. Yeah, NRG chose to put their Call of Duty team in Chicago, but their uh, Overwatch <laughs> team is based in San Fran, which is a weird choice. But 
so for actually from a player's perspective, I was thinking about this. It's more difficult. You know, you're you. There's no there's no three weeks where you play at home each time and you get to be sitting at home. You have to move to a new location every single week throughout the entire year. Yeah, and um, also Andy Miller's from Chicago. That's why he picked Chicago. Who is for the Andy Miller from Miller. Chicago? Yeah. Oh, I didn't he, uh, know that. He said something that during a statement when they said that. Uh, now you know. But anyways, um, so the travel thing, I think one of the things is with no Midwest teams either. So they don't even have like a small break. So they go like from, you know, I don't know, San Fran to Chicago or San Fran to Kansas City or something like that. So you have that small break where you can have a bunch of games in the Midwest and then travel to the East Coast and then travel. It's long flights and... You're from the West Coast. You probably traveled to the East Coast. You know how long and tedious those flights are, especially with the time zones. Now, come from Asia to America or Asia to Europe or Europe to Asia. It's going to grind on them because it takes more than just like two or three days to get up to what you need to be to be a good player. And then you still have scrims. You still have film. You still have most likely because it's uh, Blizzard media you still have to stream most likely like you're going to get burnt out even faster i think yeah it's a really bold choice uh you look at it in so many pro sports and travel is what they say the worst part of their job and you know nba teams nhl teams are all flying on charter jets i don't i can't imagine that activision blizzard has i mean i guess maybe it's one jet all 10 mm-hmm. teams fit on it and it moves because the, the all 10 teams are going to be traveling together for each of their stops. Maybe that's how they do it. But I don't know. If I was an Overwatch League player, I would not be stoked on this. Where do you even live during the season? Each weekend, you're going to be competing at a new in a new city. You, you have no home base. You have no place to set up and be like, oh, yes, I'm back home. I get to center myself. It's constant travel. Right. And... I mean, they don't even have the schedule. Well, they have the schedule out, but, like, when are they going to actually have an actual break, break, break? Like, I just don't, I can't see it totally working. Like, so, technically, they have when the homestand games are coming out, but they don't have the exact schedule. Like, when are we going to have that break in between? So, where are you going during all-star break? Like, what's going to happen then? And then, what's going to happen during the playoffs? And then, what's going to happen in the grand finals? Like... So, say Shanghai does really good. And then, say, San Fran does good as well. Then you got New York. And then, hell, even Vancouver. So, you got those four teams. They got to fly to some random location. Like, it's not good for the players. I don't think it's good for any of the staff. So. Yeah, it's... It's also not accomplishing the whole goal of them being able to connect with that hometown community. Which was... You know, that's the major draw of moving teams to home cities is you tap into a fan base. You're the San Francisco Shock. You compete in San Francisco. You get fans from San Fran. You bring them in. And this way, they're traveling so often that it doesn't really accomplish that goal. It doesn't give the players roots in the cities. It doesn't give fans consistent opportunities to watch their team play. I guess right. it's more consistent than them only playing in LA, but the travel downside is 
strong. You should not overlook that. That's a lot of travel for these kids. Exactly. And, I mean, with it being in San Fran, think about it. It's a lot easier for the press, too. Because, say, you and I have to go cover, you know, a, a weekend's worth of Overwatch games. I have to cover New York. You'll have to cover, I don't know, uh, San Fran. I think that's one of the closer ones to you. But at least we could go, all right, we're going to L.A. We can cover it there. You know, it's not like, all right, what if they're in China? Like, I can't afford to go to China. I don't think you can afford to go to China. Like, Yeah, that's another good point. Most esports reporters are based out of L.A., so most were able to go to the Activision Blizzard Arena and get interviews with players and do in-depth coverage. When it's a road show, how many (laughs) esports publications are going to have people fly with them and follow them? None that I know of. Maybe ESPN, but only probably to the stage playoffs. Like, nobody has enough bandwidth to have a rotating reporter who travels across the world following each event. Exactly. Like, I... Exactly. So, um, I was looking up... I was looking up some of the homestand stuff while we were talking. The tickets are kind of... They're interesting. So if you want your lowest ticket for a Houston Outlaw weekend pass, it's ninety bucks. Whoa, if you go to ninety? Atlanta, though, ninety bucks for minimum minimum. For that's for two so, days, right? Uh, yes. Ninety so, though, that's way more expensive than almost every sports team. Right now, if you go to Atlanta's, seventy bucks. Like they don't have a. Consist they sh- they need to have a consistent pay, I think. I would agree. Like, I-, I guess it's they they're leaving it up to the franchises to set fees, but it also depends on amount of seats. You know, if Atlanta has six thousand seats in their venue, they can make it a little cheaper because they want to make sure all that's full. But Houston only has two thousand; they want to get that extra money. But I agree, it's a little weird, especially if it becomes drastically different. Mm-hmm. Like, if one place is 120 and one place is 30, I don't know. Right. And even with Atlanta, I'm looking at their website right now. In March, they're playing at the place called The Roxy. It wasn't where they had their homestand this year because that was at the Cobb Energy Center, which is a great esports arena. Like, High res and all their games and a few others play there. So it's a good medium-sized venue where it could fill up and it looks nice. The Roxy looks like something from 1955. Like, it's a theater from 1955 you go into. And then their June location, they haven't even announced yet. Yeah, most teams haven't announced their venues, have they? Most teams haven't announced some of their venues. Like, some of the ones that had already did it before have, but some of them have not. I'm just not liking how you're like, alright, this weekend we're going to be at the Roxy, next weekend we're going to be somewhere else. Like, be consistent, get both weekends there. Yeah, it's... I, I don't know. The the whole planning of it... This is the problem with the move towards these home cities and just... just You know, it worked in traditional sports, but traditional sports also took decades. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the first traditional sports league was like all... Like, if you look at like the early days... Of the NHL is a great example. The NHL had six teams. The original six. six. Yeah, the the big six, the original six. And those teams all had to take buses to each other. 
and then it slowly expanded as more teams were able to afford venues as the league became more popular and the overwatch league is just like 20 teams around the world uh we're all in la except now we're all moving to these different venues you guys all have to figure out venues it's it's insane it's a lot of preparation and a lot of logistics that have to be ironed out in a very short period of time and the downside to it is huge right exactly and i'm just like i i was on board with it at first but the way they're handling it now i'm kind of having second thoughts of it going to work like that first like when they announced it and they're like all right we're gonna have teams here 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 and here i'm like all right that's good you know like, I like the idea. I don't know how logistics don't work, stuff like that. But then when you read more into it, uh, the kids can't, like, the kids, first of all, they need to stream something other than Overwatch. They need to have just, like, a personal day. Yeah, and when you're traveling constantly, you're, you're competing every Saturday and Sunday, and then you're moving sometimes overseas. Like we said, the two divisions, the Pacific Division has teams in asia and on the west coast and the atlantic division has teams in europe and on the east coast so both divisions are going to be doing across ocean flights which is of course across a bunch of time zones as well Mm -hmm. you've got you've got to compete both days of the weekend it gives you five days of travel you leave on monday say you leave on monday from the east coast you're going to get into paris well into tuesday because you gain seven hours in terms of time zones on a 10-hour flight. Then it's Tuesday. You're, it takes you a day to adjust to the completely new time zone, completely new daylight schedule. you got to figure that out. And then you have to compete by Friday. Then you have to do it again. Six weeks of that? Yeah, no. Like, Whew. I don't know. No, and they don't, like I said, they don't get an off day. Even if... Like, even when the NFL travels, they still have that Tuesday as their off day. They can relax, do whatever that, you know, whatever they want, hang out with their family. Because as much as the NFL is rigid and kind of stupid sometimes, they do understand, like, you need to visit your family and you need to relax. So they put that in. But when you grind the kids down to the the bone, kids are going to be like, why am I doing this? It's like, why Seagull quit? It's like, why, you know, Pine had to go home from New York Excelsior because he was... He was homesick. He was depressed. He was gaining weight. He couldn't. He couldn't do it. It was just literally hurting his head. Yeah, and he was also probably making less money. That's oh the, yeah, totally. That's the that's the key issue. You know, if Sinatra gets to a point where he gets burnt out, he knows that streaming Overwatch is a very lucrative career open to him at this exact moment. That's got to be a little bit worrisome. Obviously, dude's coming off an MVP award. He's enjoying it, but you do you do five trans-Pacific flights during the season next year. By the end of it, you're like, why don't I just get a really nice house in uh, with a different Twitch community, start just cranking out content, and make more money, stop having to do these crazy schedules... That's a tough. Right. You, you gotta, you've gotta provide more value. In which case, he's gonna start asking for raises. That's gonna increase the bottom line for each of these teams. These teams that now also have to cover a bunch of travel costs that they didn't have to cover before. Yep. This money, the money in here, if it starts getting dicey, 
You know, if people, if some of the, the VCs, the old sports money that put their money into this is like, whoa, we're not seeing any revenue. And our bottom line is getting pretty, pretty large. I don't yeah. know. The, the danger of it is is very real because they brought in so many, so many sponsors and so many old sports people who didn't have any esports initiatives before. And you don't want to scare those guys away. Those are the guys that have the potential to help really bring esports to the next level. And if they put it all on the Overwatch League bandwagon and then it crashes into a river, it's a lot of money that esports just missed out on and will it'll take a while for that money to you know, for those lessons to wear on and that money to come back to esports. Right. And I think honestly, while as we talk about Sinatra cuz he's now, you know, I mean, he's rich like he literally carried his team to the past and or not the past like greener pastures he makes $150,000 per year so that's $100,000 more than the average player which I'm assuming Robert Kraft ain't paying no $100,000 but the thing is he also has revenue sharing options I don't know why other players don't look at that contract and be like I want that Give me that, and then we'll have a conversation. Yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, he definitely has the value add. And when there's the other opportunity... So if you're an NFL player, we just saw this with Melvin Gordon's holdout. Melvin Gordon held out. The other running back on the Chargers played very well, Austin Eckler. And his leverage was gone. But Sinatra is always going to have that leverage of, well, maybe I'll just quit and go become a streamer again. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons why Andy Miller paid him so much is because Andy Miller knew, oh, man, I could lose this kid at any time. Do I want to win? Yes. Do I want to make revenue off it? Yes. I'm paying this kid this much money. I have, <clears throat> excuse me, different um, different organization or different games that I, my organization was with, and they're winning over there. I can use some of that money to balance it out. I'm going to pay him up because I'm going to take this gamble. It definitely paid off for him. I mean, if you win the tournament, it it paid off for him. Andy Miller is so happy with his investment right now. It's just some of those other guys who I've put in millions upon millions and are at the bottom of the table not making the playoffs. It's Valiant. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, the L.A. Valiant's a great example. That's that's Kroenke, right? Uh, Yes, sir. Yeah. You know, Stan Kroenke's not a man who likes to lose money. He was doing it for a long time on the St. Louis Rams, and he kept us in absolute garbage tier territory until the league finally let him move to LA at which point he invested in the team again and they became good shocking uh, there's no that there's no salt over there at all about that one <laughs> not a single not not a little <laughs> bit of salt Terrell not even a tiny tiny bit not my but sodium Dallas is true <laughs> but Dallas Dallas is the same way they've been struggling for all both seasons they've been rough Florida same thing like yeah that's a lot of those guys have spent tens upon millions they're probably well over you think you think teams are getting to 100 million in expenses yet i mean some of the expansion things were up to 30 to 35 so you start baseline there contracts staff is at least another couple mil a year travel merch arena rights like these teams over two seasons are probably nearing 
a hundred million expenses. This is pure conjecture. I mean, it's not crazy to think the franchise le- the franchise fees alone are 30, 35. Most teams are probably somewhere between 60 and 90 million in total expenditures. Maybe, maybe a little less. I'm not, I'm not sure. And then if they have a team in the call of duty league, that's 50 right there. That's, that's 50 million outright. I don't know, yeah, man. Just... Like 50 million plus Overwatch League franchise fees. So the two combined, you start at baseline 50 million. Yep. The minimum right. salary it's... you can give to a player is 50,000, but most are higher. Yeah, that th- that's a conversation for another day, but I mean, it's oh, <laughs> like it's just that all that money is just it it goes like where's it going? Because I understand, you know, the the millionaires and the billionaires use sports and esports as they're kind of honestly to be blunt about it they're playthings like they're like oh well okay we might lose a little bunny little bit of money here and there but sometimes when your toy decides to not work anymore it's time to get rid of it so how long will it be before these big name investors are like and eh, we're done with this we'll see you later that's true it is you know sports were always painted as sort of a nepotistic project for billionaires where it's like yeah they have so much money that, of course, they want to own a sports team and then they get a root for it. But in reality, sports was one of the safest investments you could make. I mean, yep. NBA franchises, the value on those things has jumped a billion dollars in the last 10 years. Like the Clippers sold for $2 billion. The previous high in a in a team being sold was the Milwaukee Bucks for like $800 million. And that was yeah, in the early 2000s. And then <laughs> they're just the, like, okay. Like $2 billion. That's what it's sold for. And so now sports are a very valuable commodity. It's not only as a play thing, it's also a smart investment. And that's what right. everybody... Yeah. I guess why, that's right, why Stan, I... Stan Kroenke doesn't care, but... <laughs> <laughs> but I'm saying just in general, though, it's not their main income. It's a great income. It's a great investment, like you said, but it's not their main income. So they're just like, oh, all right, that's fine. But with esports, with it being so young... And this gamble, it could hurt. It could shake the entire like franchise, not the entire franchise, the entire like esports landscape. Because okay, this fails. So it failed once. How do we not know Call of Duty is going to fail? We don't. Well, I mean, Call of Duty is a more established esport, but it's not one of the biggest esports in the world. It's like fifth or sixth. Exactly, and with the franchise, and you're just like, okay, Overwatch League just failed. That put us back a little more. How do we not know if Call of Duty is going to fail? Well, if it fails, it puts it back even further. So, like, the big three, you know, CSGO, Dota, League, they're still doing it the old school style, and they're doing just fine, but it's still going to affect them as people are like, why should I invest in esports? Look what, look what Activision Blizzard just did. Look how bad they fouled it up. Why should we invest in it? So some of that big money, that old money, might just disappear. Thank God for League of Legends, though, because League of Legends oh is... They are having no issues whatsoever. No, no. <laughs> so you can... If, if League of Legends wasn't there, it would be almost saying the franchise model is never going to work. Oh, yeah. But with, but with what League of Legends is doing, you... There's no, there's no knocking League. League is solid and strong so investors at least will always be able to point to yes the overwatch league failed out but it clearly could have worked look at league of legends whatever riot games did is working 
You know, they, they have the most viewership. They have the biggest spectacle. The Worlds this year is going to be absolutely bonkers. Like, this event is approaching levels of viewership and popularity of some of the biggest sporting events in the world. Like, we are... It's, in, it is, it's, it's up insane. there. It's insane. Yeah. Like, I mean, so, Slasher put up this thing about the Dota 2, the international. About, you know, the prize pool and stuff like that. It's like... All right, if League and Riot get their act together and they just start pooling that money out, Dota's going to be left in the dust so fast, even with that international battle pass. Oh, yeah. They could absolutely... Riot Games could absolutely have a $50 million prize pool. Oh, easy. Wouldn't be hard, but they don't have to. They've they've created a very successful eSport without having... Dota 2 relies on that prize pool to stay very popular. It does. Because they get so much media attention. Everybody in the esports community is like, let's watch some kids become multimillionaires during the international. And then most people turn Dota 2 off. Like, obviously, it has its scene, but its viewership throughout any event that's not the international is not nearly to the same level as CSGO or League. It just has that fatty prize pool every august where everybody pays attention it's like it's soda two time let's watch yeah that's literally i mean that's what i do it's like oh man the international's on so i'll watch during august you know why slow time in baseball football hasn't started yet and unless the olympics are on i have nothing else to watch so i'll watch the international and then it, it gives you like that it gives esports that heroin injection of look how much money we put into the the players and stuff and then League of Legends is like, all right, well, we'll just keep feeding you, you know, this stuff, and we'll coast out until the next CSGO major, and then next year, the next international. But with Overwatch and the Call of Duty now coming up, where's it going to go? It's a, it's a really tough question, and this is, we're going into the most important year in esports history, and there's no doubt about that. 2020 is going to be the year when we actually figure out what the esports scene is going to look like in the next decade and it could go in a variety of directions and it really all does rely on the overwatch and call of duty leagues just because it's so bold and it's so new and if it is successful the lcs does it the the every single league of legends they're already doing it in china so they're already establishing a model that works and an actual true home and away model that works in china and that will happen for every single League of Legends league. If the Overwatch proves that model works, 100%. I have no doubt about that. They will start tying those organizations to teams, and it'll grow from there. I, I really do truly believe that if it works, they'll follow. But they're waiting to see. You know, they, they've got it working in China. So maybe even if the Overwatch League fails, they'll still try to do that. It is a massive revenue generator if you're successful at it. Yep. But... They're just Overwatch and Activision Blizzard are just literally. I think they're forcing too many ideas in such a short amount of time. Instead of that nice long like wave, you're hitting the you're hitting the white the white water rapids. You don't know what's going to happen. You might survive it. You might flip your raft, and that'll be the end. But you're going to be bringing a lot of other people down with you, and that's actually kind of scary, to be honest. It's true. I like this analogy. You've got League of Legends, which took like got out and is carrying the raft around a little trail. It's a lot of work, but they're slowly making progress and they're going to get out the other side. 
And then you've got Overwatch League, which said YOLO and just went right into the white water afterwards. And hey, if they get out, they're going to be ahead. But nobody knows if they're going to get out. Yeah, it's like, is, are they going to make it? We're just going to sit here and wait? Like, it's, it, like you said, it's going to be the most important year, especially with esports going to be at the Olympics with, I think it was Rocket League and Street Fighter, correct? Yeah, that one's a super weird partnership because it's at the Olympics, but it's not. You know, it's it's at a pre-event where it's sponsored by the IOC, so it's it's part of the Olympics, but it's before the opening ceremony, and they're not official games. So is it to gauge interest? Yeah, I think so. I think, so they, I think that's pick, the safe bet. And they're smart and they pick two of the easiest ones to watch: Rocket League and two people beating the holy hell out of each other digitally. Yeah, two ones that aren't super violent, that are very easily digestible, uh, two very different genres. You know, Street Fighter is not super violent. It actually technically is not super violent. Like it's it's not. It, everyone thinks it's oh they're fighting each other. No man, it's watch it. And the thing is too with Street Fighter, it's in Tokyo. Street Fighter in FGC, that's our home base. It's Tokyo. Yeah, that, that was definitely a big part of Street Fighter's inclusion. I also think watchability was a huge part of it as yes, well. Yes, yes. Um, that's going to be... I'm super excited for it, but I still can't shake the IOC's previous stance on esports, which was, it's violent, it's harming kids' sensibilities. I wrote this whole scathing... I'm not going to call it an op-ed, because that makes it sound like I'm a Washington Post writer, but I was like, this is ridiculous. You right. You can't... You won't have something that has a depiction of violence, but you have fencing in the Olympics. Yeah. That's literally a depiction of sword fighting, which was violent. How, how is that any different from people playing a game that depicts shooting each other? I'm sorry. There's already guns. You can already shoot targets and stuff. How yeah, is that not? Yeah, I was going to say, in the, the, the biathlon or something, whatever it is, you ski and you shoot. Because I always wanted to try that when I was a kid. It's just like, you can't use that argument, dude. Like... And yeah, that was that was that was wild for a while there. But uh, oh my god, that's hilarious. <laughs> the IOC is uh, is an old organization, and they it, it's exciting to see it because it, it'll be really great exposure. And you know, I'm a huge Rocket League guy. Anybody who listens to this podcast knows how much I love Rocket League. Going to be a tier one esport one day, and you know that this is why because it's so digestible and it's nonviolent and it's sports without being sports. It's a great game. I'm a huge, huge, so happy to see Rocket League on that stage because I know that those, it keeps getting those opportunities in colleges and mm-hmm. the IOC and traditional TV mediums, you know, like that's where Rocket League can shine. So as esports goes mainstream, games like Rocket League are going to become more and more common. Yep. Because they're so easy to watch and they're so easy to do. And I still suck at both of them. <laughs> I suck so much at Rocket League. It's actually incredible. Uh, but that doesn't mean I love it any less. No. So- All right. This was the homestand weekend. This was an Overwatch League recap uh, joined by Terrell. Terrell, any closing words on the Overwatch League finals, on what we got going on next year? You know, where where are you at right now? What What's your closing statement for me? Uh, I think first and foremost, they need to figure out their venues. Um, with the venues not being like set, set, they should be set by now. Because all the other stuff, like free aging stuff like that, you need to focus on that as a team. 
And then you need to focus on your travel. Because I don't want to be like, well, I think it's going to be in this part of Georgia. Or I think it's going to be in this part of Atlanta. But I don't, I'm not sure yet. Hold on real quick. And then, with that being said, um, I just want to see how they're going to treat the players. Whether I think they should expand the roster. Because that way, the players can rest more. Um, Ooh, a little bit of load management. Yeah, exactly. Because that's what some of the substitutes for all the other sports and esports are. It's just, you need a day of rest. Um, I also think a big one, I people don't really notice it as much, unless you do it all the time, is Blizzard needs to allow them to play separate games. Different games. Because that'll help the burnout. Because they'll play, be able to play games they want to play with their fans and be happy. Yeah. So, Can we talk about how, how this is going to lead to some unhealthy lifestyles as well? Where you've got, in, in traditional sports, yeah, they travel all the time, but their practice is exercise. Their, 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 their job is to exercise. So esports athletes now have to do crazy travel schedules, have to grind stream time, game time, in metas that are constantly changing, so they can't even... You know, you can't even rest for a while because in two weeks, everything might change, in which case you have to grind and figure out a new team comp. And then somehow you're supposed to find time to work out and be healthy and eat healthier. I don't know, man. That's a, that's a lot to ask of like a 17, 18-year-old kid, and in which case it's going to lead to a lot of burnout. Yeah. Uh, so my question to you is this real quick as we wrap up. Would you change the meta for like the casual fan like us? And hold on to a competitive meta so it lasts for like maybe half the year so they can figure it out. So it doesn't burn out on the kids as much because, you know, trying to learn and stuff like that. Or would you continue to leave it as is? That's that's what I do, I think, is, I mean, if you're going to do something like roll lock, first of all, roll lock should not have been introduced until after the season. Ridiculous to introduce that mid-season. Yeah, that's I agree. Crazy. On, I, I do agree on that. Like, that was rough to introduce i mean it worked out actually well for them so they got lucky off it they got really lucky off it but it should have been introduced next year because it actually would have been it would have been fresh for the new teams all right you got new homestand you got roll lock so you get to see some of your favorite players actually play instead of being them sitting on the bench yeah to answer your question yes and no yes i think that would be ideal but Ultimately, I know esports viewers, and they're not going to stick around for a meta they don't like. They're not going to keep watching. They're not going to keep attending games. And so unless Blizzard was to stumble upon a meta that was pretty universally well-liked, which tell me the last time an esport was able to do that, um, <laughs> they're going to they're gonna have to just make some sacrifices. Either the fans aren't going to be happy or the players are going to have to be in crazy crunch. There's really and, no great solution to it. And I mean, I like I agree with you. There, with any esport, there's always going to be a meta that people like. There's going to be a meta everybody hates. There's no, there's no winning. Like they got rid of the goats meta, and then the double shields came out, and now everyone hates the double shields, so they have to get rid of the double shields. Sometimes though, you can't listen to your fans when it comes to the competitive scene. You got to make sure your patch is good for the pro players and. The fans will either have to follow suit or leave, and I know that's kind of hard, to, harsh to say. But if you want your 
seem to thrive, you need to worry about the competitive players first. Because yeah, the fans will absolutely the fans agreed will on stay. that. It's impossible to please everybody too. You know, there's mm-hmm. and people who are mad about the meta are always going to be the ones who post on Reddit and it's going to get uploaded to the top things like a, a post that's like this meta is actually really good i think it's nice and balanced it's gonna get four upvotes and nobody's gonna care welcome to to the current age of internet culture so you i agree they need to just they need to be kinder on the pro players especially as they're traveling all the time and they're not having a home base set up they need to find a way where it can be i i would agree maybe the only time you introduce a new character is after stage two and it comes with, it's like around All-Stars. And you get people to do it, and you play the All-Star match with new characters and maybe a new meta. Maybe that's how you introduce it. And then when you come back from All-Stars, you have to figure it out from there. I don't know. There, I really don't think there's a clean way of doing it. Because I always feel bad for teams that were great in the Stage 1 meta. And then they completely change it and they don't adapt their skills and they don't get anything really that awesome to show for it. Maybe they get a stage one championship, but you know, they, they, they had a great thing. And if, if that meta was the meta that happened for stage four in the playoffs, maybe they'd be world champions. And it's kind of brutal to be on a team where it's like, Oh, we got, we got screwed by the meta rotation. Dang. Yeah. Like, all right, man. Thanks for, (laughs) all right, cool. Thanks for the bastion meta appreciate it sweet sweet this is funny i forgot about that um best overwatch league metas real quick terrell what are what are the best overwatch league metas we've had in the last two years i love dive like i love dive meta the reason why i like dive meta is because i play dps that's why reason i like dive meta my buddy my buddy roomba hates dive meta why because he loves support he just doesn't like getting blown up all day and that's the same with every single esport that we play. I always love, you know, the offensive stuff. He's like, all the offensive players get the same stuff. It's just, that's how it is, though. And now the sad thing is, the fighting games are starting to do it, too. And it hurts. Oh, really no. Badly. No, oh, not yes. fighting games. No. I know. Right? Not my pure fighting games that are, are not part of esports yet. I mean, not part of esports, so. <laughs> hey, Terrell, you know what game has no meta rotation? Who? Rocket League. Rocket League, zero meta rotation, only new tricks, new moves, the same car, octanes all around, the occasional breakout, maybe a Batmobile (laughs) here and there, Rocket League, no meta rotation, clean, pure skill. You know what, when we play, if we play, you have fun playing in silver, I'll go play in this balsa wood rank that I belong in, (laughs) alright? We will. I'm down to play with you. We should. We should play some. Uh, I have been horrible at it lately. Ever since my dog destroyed my PS4 controller. So, wait, what? Rip. Yeah. I had a. uh, There was a really nice PS4 controller, and then uh, it was actually my roommate's dog. They got a new puppy. Just went and chomped it up real quick. So now I'm using an old one. It's got some input lag. It's tilting me out (laughs) of my mind. So I only play casual now. Uh, All right. But, hey, Terrell Skelly, thank you so much for joining me, man. Much appreciated. Uh, To our listeners, thank you for sticking around this. Hope you enjoyed the OWL recap. We're going to have so many more awesome podcasts in the weeks to come. I've got one I'm about to edit right after this with the head of Twitch Esports, which I recorded at TwitchCon. Uh, We're doing one on the CDL, everything about... You know, the new Call of Duty League, much like we broke down how this move is working. We're going to break down the ownership groups behind the CDL. 
and then so many more cool things. Definitely a lot of League of Legends Worlds content as Worlds kicks off next week, and we ramp up to the eventual World Championship on November 10th. So that's what you have to look forward to on the Esports Network podcast. I'm the Dreams, and thank you so much for listening. All right, take care, guys.